0: Welcome to It Awaits You, a podcast composed of true southern gothic tales for the modern age. It Awaits You, The Butcher of Mincy Road. Now that you've been introduced to only the first catalog of human body parts found burning in the yard of the butcher on March 9, 1992, you'll follow the lives of everyone intertwined in the story of the then young cannibal, his fatal obsession with his girlfriend, and his best friend who likely learned too much about the former fixation. This unfortunate knowledge brought them all together in a narrative fit for the opening of another Leatherface origin story. But instead of an embellished horror movie, you'll find a very real tragedy full of flawed people and an unusual hunger that slowly turned into the trappings of a nightmare. Before the door of the old farmhouse you heard about in part one is opened by Major True Love and the deputies. Settle in for a trip back to a simpler, yet somehow scarier, period of time. David Alan Sokolowski, born in 1957, would have been considered an unlikely candidate for his later sacrilege by many that knew him, at least based on the surface of his personality. While attending Northern High School in Durham during the 70s, he was known as the goofy pothead But below David's deceptively harmless and permanently stoned eyes, an ominous persona was blooming, unchained by David's substance abuse and general dabblings in the criminal underworld. Honing his skills as a burglar, thief, drug dealer, and alcoholic, David quickly acquired a record that makes his status as a 35-year-old unemployed plumber at the time of his arrest for murder in the 90s no surprise at all. Much of his life prior to this time remains shrouded in mystery, or at least, no one bothered to ask outside of those who would later interact with David at Dorothea Dick's Asylum in Raleigh, a now shuttered campus with antebellum origins. But it's the friendship that flourished in the 70s between David and another inmate during their time at Central Prison, also in Raleigh, North Carolina, that serves as the true starting point for this taboo odyssey you've found yourself indulging in. Rubel Gray Hill, who went by the name Little Man, became a close companion of David's during their mandated stay together in Raleigh, having committed similar crimes but nothing nearing the threshold of David's future slayings. It also didn't hurt that they enjoyed the same drugs—be it pot, cocaine, or just good old booze. Rubel looked like a true Southern rocker, a walking personification of Leonard Skinner's sound. This was evident in his tight clothes, scruffy goatee, and long dark hair. And he lived the rock and roll lifestyle as well, at times to a fault. While Rubel's friendship with David blossomed, Rubel was also introduced to a woman named Leanne Davis through the prison's meeting glass after being set up through mutual friends. Leanne, struggling to be a mother, found the convicted felon to have a balance of charm and bad boy appeal. It was love at first sight, but again, through glass, of course. A divide that would remain figuratively real, even as they made plans to live together with Leanne's daughter, Amy, once Ruba was released. In many ways, the future remained a blind date for Leanne. The early days at their home in Schley were full of fond memories, dancing the Joan Jet in the living room and making bracelets a genuine family in motion. Though, slowly but surely, Rubel turned into a demonic version of himself, strung out, desperate, and consistently abusive when it came to Amy. Leanne was content in her blissful denial. She wasn't ready to be a mother in the first place, much less ready for this brazen degradation of her daughter. One morning, Rubel abruptly smashed his fist into Amy's face as she ate a bowl of cereal demanding her lunch money for his next fix. She quietly got up and continued eating in defiance, her cereal now curdling pink, the milk mixing with the fresh blood gushing from her lip. This morning, and many others like it, pushed Amy to seek refuge in an ironic setting, given what you already know as a listener. Some time back, Rubel had introduced Leanne and Amy to their neighbor right down the street, David Allen Sokolowski, as a strange but harmless prison buddy who worked roofing jobs with him. In fact, Rubel and Leanne had housed and fed David during his most desperate period after release from prison. If not for them, he wouldn't have found himself with his own home living close by. The home you heard about in Part One was then rented by David, and a short distance from Rubel and Leanne's house. David's girlfriend. Pamela Owens Elwood, lived with David in the old farmhouse at 3600 Mincy Road. And soon, the same dwelling would become a deceptively safe haven for Amy as well. Amy, always in an attempt to escape torture at the hands of Rubel, often found herself in Pam's company at David's place. This is understandable given Pam's friends described her as glowing and gorgeous, with an irresistible personality. As their friendship grew, born of survival on Amy's part, it became a genuine bond. The closer they became, the more Amy disclosed about what she was running away from. And by spring of 1991, Amy was living in her own room at David and Pamela's house. But this wasn't a completely idyllic, piece together family. Much like Rubel's spiral into a lesser version of himself, David was following a similar pattern into cocaine and alcohol. David would sit in silence, drinking, staring at Amy as she would chat with Pam, occasionally making oddly sexual comments. Pam would always encourage Amy to pay David no mind, and they would go on shopping adventures to avoid his oppressive presence. Amy was convinced he was simply a petty criminal with an unpleasant demeanor, a mistaken perception made and passed along by many who knew David. On one occasion, while Pamela and Amy were knitting in the living room, as David loomed over them in the hallway with a beer, Pamela's cat pounced on her lap, knocking her arts and crafts session into chaos. Pamela always enjoyed making dark jokes about her cat, whom she truly loved. Without a second thought, she laughed as she told the cat she was going to cut its head off if it kept up the mischief. And on that note, she and Amy took off for the mall. When they returned, lying on the porch steps, proudly displayed, was Pamela's cherished cat, decapitated and covered in blood-soaked fur. David appeared as Pamela and Amy stood shocked, confused and alarmed, eyes filling with tears, demanding to know what happened. With a straight face, David told Pamela this was what she had asked for, almost insulted that she didn't appreciate him following through on the dirty work inherent in her request. From this absurd and purposeless sacrifice moving forward, David's drug use and drinking only continued to increase, along with his violence and threats of violence toward everyone in his presence. In a twist of fate, it was now Pamela who sought help from Leanne, who shortly after the cat's discovery, offered to drive Pamela anywhere she needed to go anywhere to get away from David. Meanwhile, Amy and Leanne still suffered under Rubel's daily persecution. Ultimately, Pamela declined the offer and instead waited on her parents to rescue her in the coming days. A strange decision in hindsight to wait with your captor, but it's the strange irony of trauma responses to domestic abuse. And by February 9th of 1992, anyone that knew Pamela, including her parents, had lost all contact with her despite their best search efforts. Right around that time, David started burning huge bonfires in his yard, using wooden pallets. Not long after Pamela vanished in her own nightmare, Rubel drunkenly pointed his shotgun in Leanne's face, threatening her for the thought of leaving him. Leanne and Amy now both saw him for what he was, as they called it, the ticking time bomb in their lives. Little did they know when they actually left their home that night in fear of the once soft-hearted man-turned-monster, it would be the last time they would see Rubel. Like Pamela, Rubel was missing from their home when they returned. From what they could gather when retracing his steps through neighbors, before Rubel disappeared, he visited David's house. But from Amy's perspective, why look for the man that made them afraid every day of their lives? Still, Leanne longed for the man she once knew and felt deep down that something was amiss in his absence. If only Rubel had thought about the headless cat before he visited David. If only they all had thought a bit more about the headless cat. A prophecy and warning laid bare in daylight between lines of cocaine, the occasional joint, and endless Budweiser's, unleashing an uninhibited haze of ideas in David's already twisted mind. Next time, return to hear about the search for Pamela and Ruble that led to one of the strangest and most personal cases of modern cannibalism in North Carolina history. In the meantime, you can find us on social media and get even more content through our Patreon, where your support is very appreciated. If you like this episode and want others to hear about it, take a moment to follow, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, it awaits you.